everybody. Welcome back to the Pursuit of Alignment podcast. It's your host, Kelsey, and Emmy is not with me right now. Um, I'm just popping in here to say that this week's episode is going to be a little bit different than you're used to. Unfortunately, we had some obstacles pop up and Emmy and I were not able to record together this week. So you'll hear two separate stories from both of us, two from Hawaii, two from Oregon. They're all urban legend stories that we picked out for you and uh, had to pre-record. So we're not going to be able to interact with each other like you're used to, but I will pop in again at the end to close out the episode and uh, that's about it. So I hope you enjoy these stories. First up, we have Hawaii. All right, the first one is called The Night Marchers. On the nights honoring the Hawaiian gods Kane, Ku, and Lono, or on the nights of Kanaloa, night marchers, which are the ghosts of old Hawaiian warriors, are said to come forth from their grave sites or rise up from the oceans and march in a large group to ancient Hawaiian battle sites. The legend says that these night marchers are normal-sized warriors, dressed for battle, carrying spears or clubs, and some beat war drums while others blow conch shells to announce the advancing of their march. According to the myth, they are suspended in air, their feet never touching the ground or water as they traverse through the night, therefore leaving no trace of their visit. They march in darkness after sunset and continue as a group until just before sunrise. Anyone living who is encountered along their path may hear chanting, sounds of blown conch shell tones, and marching noises in the night. The signs that follow include a foul or musky death-like odor and torches that get brighter and brighter as the night marchers get closer. The only time night marchers may appear during the day is if they are coming to escort a dying relative to their spirit world. Ancient Hawaiian beliefs state that any mortal looking upon or being seen in defiance toward the marchers will die violently by their hands. Barriers placed in the path of night marchers will not deter them. Some people maintain that if the mortal lies motionless, face down, on the ground, they are showing proper respect, fear, and deference to the night marchers and therefore will be spared. Additionally, mortals can avoid harm or death from night marchers by being fortunate to have an ancient ancestor marcher present to recognize them. As they encounter the mortal, they will call out na'u, which means mine in Hawaiian, and no one in the warrior procession will harm them. Some marches are joined by the Hawaiian gods. The torches are said to burn brighter in these marches. The largest torches are carried one at the front, one in the back, with three within the group. The number five is significant in Hawaiian mythology. In the night marchers with Hawaiian gods present, there are six gods, three male, three female. The goddess named Hi'iaka, is often within the night marchers. The composition of night marchers ex is extremely varied. The second story that I have for everybody is a pretty short one, but it is about the ghosts of the USS Arizona. Attacked on December 7, 1941, the USS Arizona sunk when it was bombed, taking with it a record 1,177 crew members and rendering it the largest loss of life on any U.S. war vessel. Following reparations in 1962, it now sits on the harbor as a tribute and carries with it, for most visitors, a tremendous sense of desolation, with the lives that perished that tragic day supposedly still patrolling the area. The refurbished boat, 
brims with eerie noises that range from disembodied voices to pacing footsteps, while an Australian woman in 2011 snapped a pic that resembles a ghostly figure suspended in water and crying out in agony. Uncanny, certainly, but also unsurprising, some of the soldiers' remains are thought to be kept on the USS Arizona. This one I thought was really interesting because I've actually been to the Pearl Harbor Memorial, and in 8th grade, my class took a field trip to the USS Missouri, which was right next door to the memorial. I don't remember a lot about what we did on the ship, but I do remember how dark and eerie it was in certain places, and what an uneasy feeling I got in my stomach being below deck where it was poorly lit. I also just wanted to share the story, even though it was short, because I think that the military presence on the islands has become a large part of Hawaii's history. Most urban legends are actually linked to ancient Hawaiian gods, but there is a small category compiled from World War II and the bombing of Pearl Harbor specifically. So, if you're interested, look more into that. The ghost planes are pretty interesting to read about. But without further ado, my home away from home, here are two urban legend stories from Oregon, narrated by Emmy. What is it about the Pacific Northwest that makes it the perfect backdrop for all things spooky? The fog that rolls in and engulfs the small little towns you find off the side of the highways when passing through the mountains? The mountains itself, with forests so deep and thick you wonder, what lurks amongst those pines? Is it the overcast weather that leaves the sky the perfect shade of scary gray? Maybe it's a combo of all of it. Many of you know I live in the Pacific Northwest, in Oregon more specifically, but I have to say the central part that I live in is actually really sunny and nice. But today, I'm going to discuss two urban legends or stories that have to do with the state I now call home and likely will never leave. For those of you who aren't history nerds like myself, I was a little curious about where Oregon began in terms of when it joined the U.S. and things like that. So I did a little research, and the state of Oregon became the 33rd U.S. state back in 1859. So for my East Coast, Northeast self, that seemed fairly recent since my home state became a state in 1788 being the 11th state to join the initial 13. With that being said, though, Oregon is the ninth largest U.S. state, geographically speaking, and the 27th most populous state in the U.S. Oregon is also one of the most geographically diverse states in the U.S., marked by volcanoes, abundant bodies of water, dense evergreen, and mixed forests, as well as high deserts, that's kind of where I live, and semi-arid shrublands. And at 11,249 feet, which I believe if my calculations are correct, is 3,429 meters, Mount Hood is the state's highest point. So now that you have an idea of the Pacific Northwest and Oregon, what it looks like, let's jump into two tales I picked. I'm curious if they will leave you thinking and a little spooked like they did for me. Tale number one is the dark magic at Malheur Butte. Malheur Butte is a dead volcano in eastern Oregon with a shadowy past full of dark magic. It's said that witches used to meet here to perform rituals, and strange impolite creatures have been seen to appear in the night to scare visitors away. It's said that 
The shadowy past in Malirbut entails one full of dark magic and that rich witches used to meet in secret on the rugged tip of this dead volcano whose history dates back over thousands of years. Native Americans used the butte as a lookout point to watch for settlers coming in on covered wagons. It is believed that many people met their demise on the trail, and their spirits linger on, haunting the area to this very day. Legends dictate that the Malheur Butte was once a place where witches would gather to celebrate their dark occult practices. Covens would regularly meet there to perform their bone-chilling rituals, which I don't even want to know what that involved, and their practices. Covens would regularly meet there to perform their bone-chilling rituals and ceremonies. And again, there was a history before that, one that rarely, if ever, got recorded into what we consider known history. For millions of years, the Malheur Butte was an active volcano. And now, a few million years after its slow and agonizing death, this formerly ferocious threat that spanned the distance between the northern border of modern Washington to the northern region of modern California would spew forth floods of lava and a series of volcanic eruptions. In the times of the active volcano, the lava dammed up the streams and created lakes and swamps that otherwise would have remained in existence for millions of years before they filled with sediment. The Snake River once contained one of many such lakes, and many geologists agree that Lake Idaho once covered most of eastern Oregon more than two million years ago. The sediment that at one point covered the Malheur Butte was then deposited into Lake Idaho by volcanic eruptions, and the butte was eventually exposed over time to what is now visible today. There have been so many firsthand paranormal experiences reported after visiting the area, especially at night, an area that is now considered rife with terrifying imp-like creatures that appear out of the shadows to chase visitors away. Reportedly, with the appearance similar to small black dogs, with long skinny limbs, oversized heads, and dark empty pits where eyes should have been. I sent this to my husband and asked if he had ever been here, and he said no. So, I'm going to try to find some time over the next year and visit it and see, and I will definitely report back, but it seems like a really unique place in eastern Oregon and a really interesting history. On to tale number two. This one is called The Bandage Man of Cannon Beach. This tale was voted the state's creepiest urban legend by Insider.com. The Bandage Man of Cannon Beach is sure a unique one. Said Bandage Man is rumored to be the ghost of a logger who died nearby and loves to terrorize visitors who are hanging around the beach. For decades, people have reported seeing this bloody bandaged man, but not only with their eyes, they can smell the decay as well. Sometimes before seeing him, or that's all they even notice. Locals seem to recall the story starting to pop up, starting around the 1950s, 1960s, the beautiful coastal town. Random fun fact, Ross and I actually stopped here with the doggos on our baby moon, but we didn't run into the local ghost celebrity. When I looked into Bandage Man further, I found out there was an old road, part of Highway 101, just outside of Cannon Beach and its northmost, northernmost junction, where the road veered off to the east a bit before returning to the 101. 
that was straightened out in its current formation sometime in the 60s. Even more revealing, that old dark road was called Bandage Man Road by the locals, and it was apparently a rite of passage for kids who had just gotten their license to drive at night. I love urban legends like this because I feel like no matter where you grew up, there's always a road, a path, a graveyard that is a rite of passage of sorts. It's like we as humans want to push ourselves to these limits and a small chance we see or experience something otherworldly. I mean, at the turn of the century and often during war times historically, people relied on occult-like things to find peace. Holding seances to try to connect with loved ones who passed in battle, wanting to know what else is out there. I've loved this stuff since I was little, so I totally get it. But definitely let us know on our Insta. If there are any urban legends in your home state, we love hearing all things creepy. Yeah, so like Emmy mentioned, you can comment or reach out to us about any of these spooky stories today on our Instagram, which is at Pursuit of Alignment Podcast. Again, we appreciate you guys going with the flow on us here while we navigate all of life's ups and downs. And with that being said, we hope that you have a fun and safe Halloween, and we will be back in two weeks with our first maternity leave episode where Emmy dives into motherhood and what she predicts it will be like. She hopefully will have had her baby by then, so lots of love sent her way is welcome. Until next time, guys, take care. Bye.